Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca slash IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm Collisions YYC returning welcome um, to Miss Jenny Gilbert. How are you, Jenny? I'm very good. Thank you, Tyler. How are you? I am I am fantastic. I'm very excited to have this conversation. You and I met a while back on the podcast, how I seem to meet so many people. And it was through my relationship with SAIT, because you are a facilitator and you work in corporate training in the School of Business at SAIT. And you've been there for quite quite a while. Not to, If anyone's listened to the ABS episode, we won't do a complete repeat. But you've been there for about 10 or, 10, 10 or 12 years. So congratulations on that. You don't see that as much anymore, I have to say. <laughs> no, but I think it's just from the beauty of how my work lines up. So no, no two days are the same and I come and I go. I'm not a full-time facilitator. So there's Excellent. a lot of choice in there. A freedom has a lot of times to find reward. Absolutely. And I understand from our last conversation, and we'll just dive right into it. You do work very specifically in leadership, in leadership training. You work and have helped develop the six leadership intelligences, which we'll touch on in a minute. But about a couple of months ago, you and I were interacting online and I asked you out of the six, which one do you feel was the most important? And of course, because it's email very quickly, I felt that you answered without, without deviation, psychological okay. safety. So before we dive into that, I'll let, maybe let you give a second to just walk us through the six then why psychological safety? And then let's just have that conversation. Okay, sounds good. So uh, we did, we've built a brand new leadership journey and it actually starts as one before the six. So we start with the individual as a leader. Okay. And on the premise that if you don't know who you are, you're really not quite sure of the leader that you are. So there's our sort of introductory kickoff piece. And then we look at these six intelligences, psychological safety, emotional intelligence, collaborative intelligence, adaptability intelligence, digital intelligence, and now I'm missing one. I put you on the spot. You did, and I don't have them written down in front of me. <laughs> Psychological safety, emotional intelligence, collaborative intelligence, adaptability intelligence, digital intelligence, and social intelligence. There you go. There was the last one. Th 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 even, thank you. even the creators can't get it right. <laughs> Well, and so, it's a lot. Like, let's be respectful. It's a lot for individuals. It's a lot for leaders. It's a lot for companies. Like, this is not to be taken lightly because it's neatly formatted into a list of six. <laughs> uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And they're all, they're all connected. They're all about 
how we approach leadership. So gone are the days really where it's my job to tell you what you need to know. There are some crucial conversations, but it's a lot about how we approach leadership. And so when you asked what's the most important, my brain was on fire. I like the way you thought I came back quickly because I, well, we could talk about this or that or this, and this would be fun. But underlying them all is this idea of psychological safety. And psychological safety, if you don't have that, you're really going to struggle in building the other needs that we have across leadership today. Is it one of those, I appreciate that, and I, I love always getting back, whether, whether it's the, the Patrick Lencioni pyramid that we've all seen in Five Dysfunctions, and if you don't have the base, the rest doesn't sit. It's a great thing we can all envision. Say, psychological safety, you shared this with me. This has been around since 1999 as, as a concept. I'll be honest, I work with a lot of different companies as a vendor. Uh, we partner in and by default inherit sometimes their culture. It's not a term I hear. It's not something that people are like, oh, by the way, you know, this is something that's important to us here. So therefore we act this way. And, you know, when we get into what it looks like and what it doesn't look like, has this, is it starting to become more top of mind and deliberate in organizations? Is it an assumption? What's the journey we've been on? Because 99 like, it's a while ago. Let's be, let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah. So it's actually been around longer than that. Okay. It was 99 when it came to forefront. And that okay. was the project Aristotle, the Google goal project where okay. it came out. What This is what makes a high performing team. Mm. And is it prominent? We get asked at SATE, we get asked all the time, can you come and talk to us about psychological safety and trust? Or do you have this? Do you have that? So it's popping up all the time. The interesting piece, and I love the way that you framed this, you don't walk into a company and they say, we have psychological safety. And, and it's a whole culture piece. It's what people say about you mm. when they've left. And so if you walk into a company or if I walk into a company and everybody is super nice to each other and they're all best friends and it's just lovely, the first question in my head is, what happens when this isn't lovely? When things, when things go safety, off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Psychological safety is not about being nice and it's not about protecting people. It's all about protecting the quality of conversation. And so it often happens. It's intentional. We build it, but it's not something that we label and say, right, we're going to behave this way. We just have to build it. It's tiny, tiny choices that build our culture. This is a classic. It's not. It's not what you say. It's what you. It's what you do. Kind of situation. I read a few this morning on your direction. I was went down the uh, Amy Edmondson road, which she's yes. fantastic. And yeah. as you can go down the rabbit hole on that, from her articles to to YouTube to wherever to her TED talks. But uh, you know, safe enough to take interpersonal risks by speaking up, sharing concerns, questions, or ideas. There was another one I read that I that was I think from uh, H Harvard Business Review. A belief that one will not be punished or humiliated. I really like the word humiliated because it's powerful. It had an impact for me for speaking up with ideas or questions, concerns or mistakes. And I thought they were both similar, but kind of different, some of the bigger words. And that's a really, those are powerful when it comes to like being willing to, and not in the level of whistleblower, but going against the grain, being the naysayer, just saying, well, wait a second, or asking the curious question, boom, what happens next? And everyone observes, like if you're in a room and someone asks the quote unquote question that, you know, oh, that's a dumb question, or oh, geez, that's against the grain here. We don't ask questions like that here. Everybody learns and observes that pretty quick. So is it really an observational, oh, I saw you got your head taken off, so I'm never going to put my neck out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, that, that is the way that it runs for us as humans. 
it's interesting that you bring up challenging the status quo because the other person within there I'm, I'm not a big fan of the term thought leader but let's use that is dr timothy clark and he gives us four levels and his top level of psychological safety is challenging the status quo and so what i love about putting his work and amy's work together is what we're aiming to do is create the environment so that people can challenge the status quo without everybody watching going, ooh, that was, that was not good for you. If, you. if you hear career suicide, career limiting move, you're missing psychological safety. And so those, those are kind of built into our culture. A culture that doesn't have psychological safety is a quiet culture. People aren't asking those questions. They're not prepared to challenge. Because somewhere, somewhere, somebody did, and we all know what happened mm -hmm. to poor Joe or Jane, that they're no longer with us, or they're in yeah. the corner office under the stairs, kind of Harry Potter style. Um, <laughs> when you look around and you encounter, we're not, we're not naming names or pointing fingers, but I'm sure okay. there's stats around this, and I didn't go down that rabbit hole deep enough. Uh, is this present? Is it not present? Is it some, like... This feels like it can be so fractional. Like, if I've got a team that has a leader that does it, there might be a corporate culture that's overarching that either can be pro or, or, or not. I wouldn't say pro or con because it doesn't mean you're against it. It means what you do. How, like, how much of an issue is this out there? I, like, I feel like it's a lot, so I'm kind of leading the witness in my question. But I feel like this is, this is like a problem that I've run into multiple times, just never had a name for it until now. I think that's a fair a fair description. I think it's very prominent. I think we have a lot of organizations where there are teams that are getting it and have that open dialogue. And maybe it's not all the way through the organization. We have others that leaders have caught hold of this, recognized the importance behind it. And by that, you know, everybody is looking for creativity, collaboration and innovation. Any one of those three is a social process. And if you really want your company to reach that next level or grow or change direction, again, we need that quality of conversation. We need that open piece within there. Well, those three elements you mentioned, whether you're 10 years old or 40 years old, if you're in fear, there's a serious limitation to my creativity, my willing to innovate, because most of those are inherently with the concept of taking a risk, putting out you know, an idea. I work with, uh, with creatives, Mm -hmm. in, in marketing and you know my business partner is a primarily creative lad he's like you no matter how much you want to be analytical you're putting your thoughts something that you bore out of your soul onto it onto a screen and put it out there for people to then be like oh that's terrible i hate about and like that kind of, it takes a lot of willpower <laughs> to be creative the next time when you've been through something like that just comparing it to a world that i've seen where oh you ask for feedback but how do you make sure that you still get the that best quality output that risk taken the next time it's a pretty tricky balance sometimes when you also need to say what you like or don't like about something while still maintaining enough safety for that individual for them to be able to perform in those 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 ways that you just laid out so two key key pieces within psychological safety there that you just bring up one is how do we just destigmatize failure so it becomes a learning conversation and when we're building that learning learner safety then we can encompass you know at the moment we're unlearning we're relearning we're also learning there's, there's so much of that going on and we need to have that open conversation to get that feedback and, and interestingly there what we often do is the way that we work in our companies we have hierarchy mm. and how that deems it to go is that if you're my boss you give me feedback that's your job 
And so my next question for leaders always is, when is the last time that you asked for some, and I would call it feed forward actually. So when is the last time you asked for feed forward and how did that go? What did you do with that piece? And so now we're changing the conversation. Now there's nothing to stop you as the leader giving that feedback, feed forward, but we need to be asking for it as well. And then we're encouraging that open conversation of here's what I really think. And all the time, as you already put out, each individual is doing a risk assessment. If I say this, what will that be? And the more that we begin to neutralize that piece and really, it comes down to Amy Edmondson said, the productive response. What is the productive response when you get challenged? And unfortunately, our egos get in the way a little too often. But if we can keep them to one side, then our productive response is everything, especially when you're learning and, you know, failing in terms of failing to grow. It's so, it's such a, it's such a slippery slope because it, amongst this is a bunch of individuals. Like we'll, we'll get to that in a second, you know, that we all have our respective things that maybe we're working on or we don't even arguably, maybe we should be working on, but we don't know about blind spots, all that fun stuff. You've also got this inherent need to belong as humans to this group or yeah. this part. And, you know, like, well, I like what you said, like we're risk assessing all the time. Is this going to get me excluded from, you know, if I, if I got thrown out of the village, that meant death at a certain point in our, in our evolution as a species. Yet we think we're so evolved, but our brains, I think there's still, there, I, I, I think I've read, I've done a lot. There's a lot of that still going on and those triggers are very real and they're arguably irrational because they're bred in deep around survival. You know, if you want to, it feels like we're, we're, we're boiling right up against this sense of belonging or being ostracized that's been part of our DNA forever that we, that we maybe don't consciously think about. I, I think that's a really important piece to recognize. And going back to Clark's work, inclusion is his first level and inclusion means you're welcomed and you belong on our team if you're human and you're harmless that's all you need those two things just having those two things means you're in and as you reckon we're not very good at that we're really not very good at that and so there's a little bit of an uphill battle as we begin to look at that so as a leader what are you tolerating and, and that to me is crucial because those pieces where we just ignore it or, oh, well, this is once, maybe it won't happen twice. And the more of that that we tolerate, the less inclusion that we have. And that's before we go into all the brilliant work that's been done on inclusion in other areas, especially in EDI as well, of course. Right. So if we look back just how we got here. I was in a workshop the other day and they were just talking about, you know, how do you create accountability in high performance teams and talked about shared fate. And they went back to the reality of so much of our, our leadership in modern, in modern, in the modern world of business is just built on this antiquated, arguably military model of hierarchy and structure and bottom and that we're still really unpacking what was the best we had at the time, but is arguably no longer serving us. Is that, am I, am I on the right path with that thought? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Oh, I, I feel like I struck from... a chord, Jenny, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to bring my soapbox out, but. You can, uh, you yes. can. It's your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so we, well, we basically, we created management and leadership at the beginning of the 1900s. And that word created is really, really important because it was created for a workplace that is nowhere near the same as we're in now. And from there came our, you know, our control and command mindsets, our, you know, ridiculous ways of, you know, if you, um, you'll be motivated, if you do this, I'll give you that. And, 
And we're still carrying a lot of that legacy piece. It's incredible how much we want to hang on to some of those pieces. Mm. So yes, you're absolutely right. We're not there now. The work that we do is so different and we need each other as, as humans, as people, as teams to really be able to adapt, adjust to everything that's happened. And we just look at the last 18 months. How many times has the curveball been thrown in the last 18 months? The cycles are getting shorter and the curveballs are getting faster, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I missed, yeah, I missed, yeah, I I missed the last ball and another one's already being thrown. It's like you go to the batting yeah. cage and so your buddy turns it up too fast. Kind of what feels <laughs> like in business. We've got more generations in the workforce than we've ever had before. And yeah. you know, I, I agree with you and I appreciate your, your, the passion you have around, ah, this model no longer works. But the wealth and the success that we've built by doing it a certain way combination is it just well geez you know i'm i don't disagree with you but we've done it this way before and it quote unquote worked but we've also got new generations that are pushing in that have different demands and different requirements and are maybe not so quick to go well that's the way we've done it for 40 years so let's jump on board with that train like i just feel like there's so many layers of like i'm scared to give up something that has worked even though i believe it might be better but now we have new generations that are coming in with fresh ideas and leadership now isn't just something you earn because you've done something for 30 years it's happening all across the board curious of how those all intermingle to facilitate this becoming more real in organizations, I guess is what we're after at the end of the day. It's an interesting perspective. Our generations are different. Although I always come back to at the end of the day, we are all human beings. And so what psychological safety gives us are those, those pieces that are allow our emotions to come out that allow the quality conversation to happen. But really the essence of it is we're allowed to be who we are. And when we get to authentically show up, then we feel confident to learn. And then we prove ourselves and be careful with that statement. But we, we earn the autonomy to do the job that we applied for, that we were hired for, whatever our generation is. And, and those connected are going to allow us to really challenge the way we've done things in the past. And I think it's very healthy for us to look and say, okay, this has worked, but there's a whole number of what ifs and we can if, and is there a better way? And, and there's, I'm going to go out there and say it, there's always a better way, whether you choose to follow it or not depends on your context, your environments and your conditions. And is this, how much of it is happening? Like I always like to look at culture, not necessarily the culture of your organization, but we look at the cultural changes that are happening around us, the way we interact, the way we communicate, what different generations mm -hmm. find value in. Is this just a natural progression? Like I, I'm always curious of like, you know, if we really push hard on it, can it happen in five years? But if we just let it run, this is a road that we're already on and it's becoming, I'm just always curious about the natural trends and the flow of the way we evolve and the way we interact and every generation thinks the generation coming next is going to blow it all. and that, But we thought that since the beginning of time, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have a good friend of mine, senior, senior leader, uh, very successful in his 60s. And I was, we were standing around in a group and, and a bunch of people were all complaining about, oh, the youth of today. They were doing that thing, which drives me bananas. And he looked over, he goes, you know, when I was 20 and I had long hair and a joint behind my ear and a saxophone over my arm, I bet you all thought I wouldn't amount to anything either because it worked out. He just walked away. It was the best moment. <laughs> 
<laughs> and like, you know, indisputable in terms of his level of leadership and what he'd accomplished. But I appreciated the reality of that. So how much of this, you know, because you guys are putting a program together, you're having people come in. Is it happening anyways? Again, I'm saying that in a positive way. And then also, like, do you see it accelerating as it becomes a non-negotiable for organizations? That either if they don't do it, they will actually fail because they're not going to be competitive anymore, just at the most fundamental level. I think that because it's so intentional that it won't just happen anyway. I think the awareness needs to be there and the understanding. Like This is work. It's like any culture that you build, this is work. Do I think that companies will end up falling behind? The potential is really high for that because of that social process that is collaboration, innovation, creativity. And our work is changing. So as that digital takes over then we we need that human piece and if we can't talk to each other properly that quality of conversation we really aren't going to succeed in the way that we could and that there's another big difference too like when we look at i don't know the numbers but those fortune 500 companies there's about a tiny percentage left who were there is something like 20 years ago and and so why are they still there and who's there now and who will still be there. There's so many different factors that run into this, but I think the piece for people, leaders, organizations, teams to pick up is this is intentional work, it's hard work. And it constantly has to be sort of fostered and modeled by our leaders. And they need to show us the way and help us with that piece. But as we do that, the returns are going to be huge. Mm. How do you tackle, obviously you work with so many different organizations and, and all levels of people, of humans, of humans. And I love it. Humans, we have human, being human is a messy experience. Let's just put it, let's just, oh, yeah. let's just be like, it's super messy. <laughs> and, and guess what? We all, it's messy for all of us. No one, no one has some, some non-messy environment from what I've, what I've seen. We bring ourselves as individuals to the table. You and I joked a little bit offline. We're all in different states of repair. <laughs> and I really like that because that means there's hope. It means we can fix it. You know, geez, I ran into that tree, but I think I can buff it out. I think I can get your know, body shop, clean it up. We're all dealing with our own journey. When you, when, you know, this shared concept of we all agree that we're going to create an environment of you're not going to be punished. You're not going to be humiliated. Yet there's individuals that bring their own challenges to the table. I guess I'm curious how you tackle that in an environment when you're working with an organization. And, you know, does it still fall back to the responsibility of those individuals to realize like, whoa, hey, there might be something going on here. I need to go out and work on that. I'm just curious how that all blends together from the shared committed group to individuals still having a quote unquote messy human experience. I love that. We are all very messy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And one of the reasons that we have, you know, we spoke about those six intelligences molding together is it's often about recognizing who we are, but it's also about the team recognizing who we are. And so that inclusion piece says, regardless of your state, how much in repair for sake of this conversation you are, you're, you're here, you're part of us, you're welcome at our table. Like I, I was with a group the other week and we were talking about inclusive cultures and a lady in that group said, I have to stop every time I speak to channel my accent and my energy to suit the people around me. Now that is a crazy waste of energy and effort. Like the leader of whoever that lady reports to 
Imagine what you could have if she could bring her vibrance and her natural ability to the table. Is it exactly how I would act or how somebody else? No, but that's the beauty of that quality of conversation. And we're humans. We can learn how to work with each other. And that, that's the other part of Amy Edmondson's um, foundations that she gives us is set the stage. So what are the terms of engagement? And, you know, we have, there are acceptable and there are unacceptable. And that comes back to my comment earlier. What will the leader tolerate? You get what you tolerate, basically. So, so where will you sit on that piece? And then how do we create that space for voice so that the vibrant energy can come to the table as well as the quietest person and still all be heard and all contribute towards those great ideas, collaboration, innovation. I love the concept, the way you put it about like, what are you, what are you leaving on the table? As we, mm -hmm. as our, as our organizations have been put under such intense pressure to change and pivot and adapt and everything is flipped, you know, flip over the table, get it set and flip it over again. And maybe again and again, I think maybe we're at three or four flips in the last 20 months, but yet you have individuals that aren't able to be themselves and really potentially be, have that creativity or have that burst of insight because they're so busy adjusting to fit, to fit in arguably. Ooh, that's such an interesting, I really liked the way you put that. Yes, and it's a, it's a, it, there's a cultural piece, but there's also an idea piece too. So if my ideas, my thinking, my um, option generation is different to yours, how do we make that work as well? And so it's not just the, the person that we bring, it's the way that we think and how we bring that to the table too. And so this is why it's hard work. Yeah. Here's, here's the piece in there. We have to constantly build it and work on it and we won't know if it's working unless we talk about it and if we don't make it safe to talk about it we're not talking about it <laughs> chicken egg cart horse Ugh. there you go <laughs> i'm an organization i'm listening to this and i'm i i i, I do I do an assessment or do I just look at it and know? Like, because we're so addicted to being assessed. Assess this and run a survey and we'll ask everybody what they think. And no, well, then we'll do it. And then we'll go do Myers-Briggs and then we'll do colors and then we'll do disc and then we'll put it all in a binder and then we'll never look at it again. So I've been through some of those experiences before. <laughs> so sorry, that was a lot. Um, and slightly my own opinion. Is this something that needs to be assessed or is it something we talk about and we kind of know because we're humans and we kind of know what's going on? So both. Okay. You can assess it. Yeah. And there are several different tools out there that you can use to assess okay. it. And you can find them online. Look up Amy Edmondson, look up Tim Clark. You can you okay, can find great. ways awesome. to measure psychological safety. If you want to do it by scanning your environment, have I got it, have I not got it? Yeah. If you have open dialogue and I'm talking about People will talk about the elephant in the room. People will talk about the, we call them stinky fish, the stuff that we think's done with, but people are still talking about it and it's bugging them. Uh, a fearless mindset, they'll challenge the status quo, they're productive in their conflict, then you've got it. If you've got a silent culture, you ask for ideas, you um, see people avoiding conflict, you ha you're not hearing like a classic meeting, eight people and only two are doing the talking. Those are some sort of flags. And then you might want to lean in a bit closer and, and really see what's going on. 
I would assume there would also be some back channeling and gossiping and complaining offline because it comes out. But if I don't feel safe to bring it out here, I'm probably going to bring it out somewhere else. I've been in organizations where I'm like, oh, this is a culture of, we never say it in the meeting, but everyone says it afterwards. So it feels like it just, because it doesn't get said in the meeting, doesn't mean it's not getting said. It's just probably showing up and not as what could have been a productive uh, setting for that. And here we are again. What a complete waste of energy. <laughs> Why can't we have that in the meeting? And, and build from there. So you're, you're right, that would be the biggest flag. I would immediately say, okay, we need to do some work if that was the case. But yet that, that triangulation, that gossiping, sometimes is, the, I think it was Yuval Harari's book talking about, it might actually have been the root of, of the evolution of language. So we know who's safe in the village and who wasn't and who this and who that. So it's, it's almost interesting that there's some part of this that is a little bit ingrained, you know, from an anthropological mm -hmm. perspective. I don't want to go too far down that road. Versus how do we be deliberate and say, yeah, sure, maybe we do this. And it pairs up this and I feel connected when I do it. But is it actually contributing to making me feel like I can be my best self in this environment. It's and clearly not, not the case. I'd agree. Mm, well, I got my wheels spinning here, Jenny. Um, where, aside from reaching out to you and having a great conversation, where do I begin as an organization, as a leader? I'm sitting here listening going, I don't feel good about this. I feel, I feel this is an area where we need to lead into. What's the best place to start? I like what you said, come talk to us, you can find me, you can find Sate very easily and we have deliveries and, and know that too, I think I want to touch on what you said there, this isn't a, I go to the course, I've got the book, I can do it. Okay. This is a, we'll plant a whole load of seeds, we'll support you if you would like afterwards too and now here's what I can do to transfer and get this going and build this idea in my workplace. If you're anti that kind of approach, then you mentioned it earlier, hit YouTube, look up the likes of Amy Edmondson, Tim Clark. The fearless culture, I believe, is a, a piece as well. I know the first the guy's first name is Gustavo. I can't remember his last name. There, there's plenty out there. HBR has a number of articles on it too. And what you're looking for is that psychological safety that's about the environment and the conditions that we create, because there's also psychological health and safety. Mm. And that's the one that's got the national standard attached to it. Equally important conversation, just slightly different. There you're going into mental health, mental well-being. So okay. we, we need that, but it's just a little bit of a different conversation to the one we're having here. Okay, I appreciate that. So get curious do some research. Yeah. There's tons of, yeah, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole for the last couple of days. There's endless amounts, like my browser windows filled up with, I read this later, read that, watch that. Uh, I love uh, Amy Edmondson's work because she's just like, she's just on it and just very deliberate in terms of her communication. You can pick up a lot and very, in, in a good old mm -hmm. 12 minute TED talk, which I really appreciated. But Jenny, thank you so much for creating a very safe, comfortable environment to just have a dialogue and have a good old fashioned, what I call a good old fashioned conversation where, you know, you, you don't always know. And that's the whole point. You don't, you don't need to to do to that well arguably that would be the best way to learn is when you when you show up being okay that you don't know <laughs> absolutely <laughs> being safe and, and uh, pretending so i really enjoyed it as always and um uh, to be continued i think there's some other leadership intelligence we might uh, we might and we, and we managed to stick under the 30 minute mark which was our goal so i see a few more of these in our future jenny thanks so much for spending your time and for your insights and the great work you do and thank you tyler <laughs>